tonight and go to Proverbs chapter number nine, please. The ninth chapter in the book of Proverbs is where we'll be this evening. And we began this particular thought last Sunday evening. And as we got going in the message, it became abundantly clear to me that we were not going to have time to finish the second part of it. And and I do I do think that maybe. Uh, the first part is a little bit longer than the second, so you might get out a little bit earlier tonight. We'll see how it goes. But uh, we're talking uh, this evening, as we've talked about last uh, Sunday night, on this idea of wisdom's banquet table. Wisdom's banquet table. We gather this idea from Proverbs 9 and verse number 1, where the Bible says, Wisdom hath builded her house, she hath hewn out her p- seven pillars, she hath killed her beasts, she hath mingled her wine, she hath also furnished her table. And so if you're reading through and, and, and sort of you know, connecting the dots or, or putting everything together, you understand here that wisdom has specifically built a, uh, built a place and, and has, has, has furnished a place uh, for the purpose that she might uh, invite a large group of people in to feed them a meal. And of course, at this meal, she's not just going to feed them in a physical sense, but she's, she's hoping to, uh, to feed them something much greater, that something that will carry them much further than a physical meal ever could. And so we understand that what we're dealing with here is, 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 is metaphorical, uh, that when we sit at wisdom's table, we're not dining on actual meat, and we're not, we're not drinking actual wine, and uh, we're not enjoying the other sides that you might associate with a with a feast or a banquet of this nature, but rather we're sitting at wisdom's table and she's feeding us truth. She's feeding us these, these types of things. And we spent quite a bit of time last, uh, last week just kind of looking at just some observations about this particular banquet. We talked about the setting and, um, and, and we gathered, we gathered from this that, you know, no, you know, no average ordinary setting would do. Wisdom went all out to eliminate any potential distractions from people hearing the message that she was going to, that she was going to give. And of course, we made the connection or tried to draw the idea that the local church is the, is the pillar and ground of the truth. And in this day and age, if you're going to, if you're going to hear truth and you're going, uh, if you're going to get what God has for us, the, the best place to get it is going to be in the local church, which still remains to this day the pillar and ground of the truth. God hasn't changed his mind on that. But that's still what it is. And so we talked about the various things that we do in order to not necessarily enhance the message, but to make sure that the message is heard. And we've talked about things as simple as, you know, sound and, and making sure that there's no issues and lighting and and in climate control and all of these things, all of these things help us. And so we talked about the setting, and then we talked about the table itself, and uh, we talked about serving something fresh. You remember that, don't you? And uh, the Bible says about wisdom that she hath killed her beasts. You know that she uh, she went out and she uh, she gave special attention to the specific beast that she was going uh, to serve at that particular meal, and she killed it herself, and she prepared it herself, and and she didn't just go and buy store bought wine. The Bible indicates that she mingled the wine herself, that it was fresh, and that it was suitable for uh, her guests that would be there. And and again, we made some connections about uh, again just having the freshness of God upon our lives and upon our 
church and upon our ministry. And then we talked briefly last week about the invitation in verses 3 to 6. And it's obvious in this particular text that this invitation is intended for everyone. Everyone is invited. As we read a little further in our text, we discover that some are going to benefit from it more than others. And that's why she makes a special appeal in verses 4 and 5 to, 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 of this particular text to the simple and to him that wanteth understanding. In other words, they, they don't have it currently, but they want it. They desire it. They have a heart to learn and to, and, and to grow and to understand. And so, and so she indicates, listen, I think this banquet can help anybody, but no doubt some people are going to be helped by it more than others. And she identifies who that is. And the final thing that we, that we brought out last week is just the idea that she believes in what she is presenting at this banquet. And if you look in verse number six, the Bible says, forsake the foolish and live and go in the way of understanding. And I really do believe, as I've studied this particular book, I really do believe that really, really from here all the way to the end of the book, it's as if, it's as if folks are sitting around a banquet table and wisdom is speaking directly to them. Wisdom is teaching them things that they ought to know. And as I said last week, a lot of this book has been so far through the first, you know, eight chapters, it has been sort of a little bit, um, you know, one common theme in a chapter or maybe, maybe two common themes in a chapter. But as we move now into Proverbs chapter number nine, I don't know that I ever put all of this together until I began to preach this book and understand it. But now it's, now it's as if wisdom says, now buckle up your seatbelt, hold on tight because you, you I'm just going to start. I'm just going to start giving you wisdom. I'm just going to start pouring these things into your life and into your heart. And you better be ready to listen and you better be ready to learn. And in many respects, I feel like that's kind of, you know, it's like we're getting on this roller coaster ride and we're getting, we, we're, we've been climbing the hill and now we get to the top of the hill and wisdom is just going to begin to begin pouring into our lives. So let me share tonight uh, the second part of this message. So we talked about important observations uh, about Wisdom's Banquet. But notice number two, impactful truths given at Wisdom's Banquet. And we find these in verses 7 to 12 in which, uh, in which Wisdom begins uh, to speak into some very key and some very important areas of our lives. And I'm, and I'm reminded of what, uh, of, what, of what Christ said and really what the Scripture said. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, if, if, you, uh, if, you, if you will listen and if you will listen with an open heart and with an open mind, with an open ear, uh, you, can, you can get some incredible wisdom here. And so wisdom begins to feed her participants some powerful and impactful truths that will, uh, that will serve them well throughout the remainder of their lives. And so we have to ask the question, what does wisdom say? And I'm going to share with you three specific things that wisdom teaches. Now, this is just the beginning. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of things that are still to come. We still have 20 plus chapters to go. But what are some of the very first things out of wisdom's mouth? It's interesting, isn't it? There's something to be said for, you know, those that do public speaking and do a lot of it, in which, you know, they'll, they'll sometimes say, now this is not necessarily listed in order of importance, but I sometimes beg to differ. Because as you're putting together an outline, as you're putting together a, a message, you're oftentimes, you're, you know, you're thinking, okay, what do I want to get across? What do I want to get across? There it is. And you begin to list the things. And it's almost as if wisdom, uh, wisdom, and I think you'll, you'll find here these three, they're so foundational 
to the rest of life and to the rest of what is going to be given throughout the remainder of this book. So let me share these things with you. Three, three impactful truths given at Wisdom's Banquet right off the bat. Number one, here it is. Number one is this. You can tell a lot about a man by how he responds to teaching. Wisdom, wisdom says this. Listen, listen you, you can find out a whole lot about someone by the way that they respond to teaching. Now, please understand that when we say man, we're not excluding the women. We're, we're saying mankind. Now, you can tell a lot about a human being, about an individual, by the way they respond to teaching. Now look in verses 7, 8, and 9. He that reproveth a scorner getteth to himself shame. And he that rebuketh a wicked man getteth himself a blot. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. Now, don't you suppose that there's a reason why wisdom says this first? And here's the reason. Because wisdom says, listen, I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready to give you a bunch of stuff here. And if you're a scorner, we're going to know it. We're going to know it real quickly by the way that you respond to what I'm giving. If you're a, if you're a simple man and you want to remain in your simplicity, we're going to know it by the way that you respond. You're going to, you're going to tune me out. If you're a fool, we're going to know it in a hurry. It's going to be all over your face as you sit and as you listen to what I'm going to give. And, and if you are a wise man, a wise woman, oh, we're going to know it. We're going to know it in a hurry. Why? Because of the way that you respond to that which is being given. I hope you understand. Uh, I hope you understand that body language and appearance and all of these things are so very, very important. I stand here and I, and I preach. And, and um, a lot of times I know when it's time to shut it down. How do I know that? Because I'm watching you. And some of you, you're sitting here saying, well, we were waiting for you to get the clue, you know. We've been sitting like this for a while. Finally, he noticed, you know, the arms are folded and, you know, it's the, it's the pronounced, you know, look at the watch and it's the, the, the big yawn and sometimes people even start getting up and moving around a little bit and, and, uh, and I get it. I, I, I understand it. I understand it. But, but listen, that's one thing for me who's standing up here, but here's wisdom, and wisdom is going to speak into our lives. And how are we going to respond? How are we going to accept the teaching? Can I, can I, say, can I say, parents, you can tell a lot about your children by the way they respond to teaching. Pastors, you can tell a lot about your congregants. You can tell a lot about the members of your church by the way they respond to biblical teaching. Teachers in a school somewhere, you can tell a lot about your students by the way they respond. Oh, this is an undeniable truth. You, 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 you'll know someone. You will know someone and who they are and what they are by the way they respond to teaching. You know, it's really not all that hard. It's really not all that complicated. Just start giving out truth and watch how a person responds. Here's what he says. He says, number one, a wicked man and a scorner will hate those who teach wisdom and instruction I mean, I think that's the clear, undeniable teaching here of verses 7 and 8, that a wicked man and a scorner, a fool, is going to hate, literally hate, those who teach wisdom and instruction. And here's why. Here's why. Because often, wisdom and instruction come with a reproof or a rebuke. 
Now, how many times have you gone to correct someone and you've, and you've, you know, you've prepared yourself mentally for it and you have, you know, you, you've, got, you've got a right mind about the whole thing and maybe you've even prayed about it and you have sought the Lord's wisdom about it and you walk into the room and you say, I need to speak to you about something and, and, um, and, and you begin to lay out the case of what it is that is offended or what it is that is wrong in that person's life and that person looks at you and they respond like something like this, why are you yelling at me? And you're sitting here going, you know, I, I, I think I know what it means to yell. And I'm pretty sure I've yelled a time or two in my life. And I, and I know what it's like when I raise my voice. And I really don't feel like I'm yelling. But this person is accusing me of yelling at them. Sometimes, sometimes that, that communication can even come through in our, in our digital communication. Now, now, some of you folks are a bit older, you need to understand that when you send a text message and it's all caps, you know, all caps, that person thinks you're yelling at them, right? Now, you may not realize it. You, you, might, you might think, no, you know, I'm just, you know, whatever. Maybe, maybe the button just got stuck and you didn't even know it, you know, and you just sent the message anyway. But the person reads it as if you are screaming the message at them. Here, here's why. Here's why sometimes, sometimes we feel like someone's yelling at us because we're being reproved. We're being rebuked. And a reproof and a rebuke doesn't, doesn't have to come with a raised voice with a lot of volume for us to feel as if we're being, we're being yelled at. And Solomon here, through, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, he, he says, listen, he says, listen, you'll know someone is a wicked man and you'll know they're a scorner by the way they respond to wisdom instruction because many times wisdom instruction come packaged with a reproof or a rebuke. And as a result, being reproved and being rebuked, it's always a little uncomfortable to hear that. Sort of feels like we're being yelled at. Sort of feels like we're, uh, we're, we're being preached at just a little bit or, or, or we're being sat down and we're being lorded over. No one likes to be corrected. No one likes to be chastised. Our physical or fleshly nature it longs instead for accolades and for congratulations. It does not long or enjoy for reproof or rebuke. And when we get these, instead, when we get reproof and rebuke, we resist it and we push back against it. And can I say that the Bible is profitable for these things? Did you know that there are times in which you'll read your Bible and you'll feel like God's yelling at you? Didn't one of our young people say that in their testimony? I felt like God was yelling in my face. That's because he probably was. Probably wasn't raising his voice, but he was reproving and he was rebuking. Why? Because he's trying to give you wisdom. He's trying to give you teaching. And if you, listen, if you want to be, if you want to be a fool, you want to be a scorner, then you resist that. You push against that. And we'll know exactly who you are. We'll know exactly who you are. The world that we live in is mostly wicked and scornful. And because of that, listen, because of that, it has grown to hate and despise this book. Because as people read it, it feels as if it's, it's all in caps lock. It feels like every, every letter is capitalized. As God hones in and as God speaks specifically into that individual's life, as God reproves them and rebukes them. By the way, the Bible says that that's what the word of God does in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. 
it reproves, it exhorts, it corrects, it, uh, it, it does all of these things. It's good for instruction and, and, and righteousness. And, and because the world is mostly wicked and the world is mostly full of scorners, the world hates this book. They hate this book. They think that, they think as Christians, we're, we're trying to shove this book down people's throats. Nothing could be further from the truth. I don't, think, I don't want to shove it down anybody's throat. But I do think they need to hear it. I think they need to hear it. They, they hear it and then they turn away from it. That's between them and the Lord. But, but I have a responsibility to go into all the world and preach the gospel. When a man or a woman responds to wise biblical teaching with hatred, you can safely assume that that man is a scorner or a wicked man. And listen, they may, they may dress right. And they may have the right hairdo. They may, they may even continue to come to church but you watch the way they live and you watch the way they receive wisdom and instruction. You, you watch the way they receive those things and you'll know exactly who it is that you're dealing with. Solomon goes so far in our text as to advise those who are wise not even to rebuke a scorner since it's only going to lead to further hatred. That's what he says there in verse number eight. Reprove not a scorner lest he hate thee. So at some point we're going to have to make the determination, okay, I know who this is. I know, I know that they're a scorner. And so I'm not going to bother because I know how they're going to receive it. I, I know how they're going to accept it and it's not going to be well. So when the word of God rebukes you, how do you respond to it? When someone is trying to pour wisdom and instruction into your life, how do you take it? When the pastor, the preacher, a, a teacher of some sort, maybe a, an authority figure in your life, a parent, when they reprove your behavior, what's your attitude like? If you resist, listen, the clear teaching. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about somebody that just wants to, you know, they get on some hobby horse about something in which, you know, it's not even in the Bible. That's, you know, that's, that's a different thing altogether. But when someone stands before you and they give you clear biblical teaching and instruction, how do you respond to it? Do you resist it? There's maybe some young people in our church here tonight who You've you spent a lot of time resisting your parents, resisting your youth pastor, resisting your youth counselors, resisting teachers in your school, resisting, resisting the Holy Spirit of God and his, and, his, and his word itself. We know a lot about you. You know a lot about yourself. Because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that you're a fool. You're a scorner if you resist wisdom instruction. You'll know it because you'll, you'll grow even to hate those who try to give it to you. Notice, secondly, a wise and a just man, according to what Solomon writes, will love those who teach wisdom and instruction. When a wise man hears even reproof and rebuke, he, he loves the teacher, even if the teaching might sting him just a little bit and where he presently is living. Here's what he does with it. He, he takes it and he makes the adjustments that have been taught to him after listening and applying the teaching that he's been given. In other words, he is appreciative of what he has been given, and he grows as a result of it. Now, let me, let me, just, let me just show you some, some texts that prove that. Hold your place here in Proverbs 9, and go with me to Psalm 141, would you? Look in Psalm 141, and verse number 5. Now, this is such a great passage of Scripture, because this is exactly what he's talking about here. This is what a wise man does. Now, look at the attitude Psalm of David, Psalm 141, verse number five. He says this, let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. Now that's funny, isn't it? Now, of course, we understand he's talking metaphorically here. 
Nobody has, a, has the right, you know, to walk up to someone tonight after the service and say, well, I'm righteous. I'm saved by the blood of Jesus. So, boom, you know, and it's a kindness, you know. The Bible says it'd be a kindness. He's, he's talking metaphorically. He's saying, he's saying let, let, him, let him strike me with his words of wisdom. Let, let, him, let him come to me and let him reprove me and rebuke me. And he says, he says, I, because of where I'm at, I will view that as a kindness. Oh, that's a, that's a bold statement, isn't it? He says, and let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil which shall not break my head, for yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. Let me ask you this question. Does that really picture the way you approach Reproof and rebuke. We got a long ways to go in this area. Probably most of us, don't we? I don't know about you, but I, I, I don't measure up to where David is in this passage of Scripture. I need God to help me with this. Uh, because when, I, when someone comes and smites me, I want to smite them back, you know? I mean, in my flesh? What are you talking about? Who, makes, who died and left you, boss? Who do you think you are? You know? Mind your own business, right? I mean, isn't that sort of how we think? You know, stay in your lane. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm good where I'm at. I'll be fine. And that's what our, our flesh, listen, our flesh is screaming those things. David says, bring it on. <laughs> Hit me again. It's like, pouring, it's like pouring oil over my head. Being anointed with oil, it is a blessing to me. It is a kindness to me. I, uh, I've, never, I've never claimed in any way, shape, or form to be perfect. In fact, I know, I, I, I know I'm, as, I'm as broken and as flawed as any person in this room. And I don't know necessarily where, where this came from, but I do, remember, I do remember being a young man and being rebuked from time to time by some people in this church. Some of you are still sitting here. <laughs> and you probably don't remember, but I do. And... Um, I remember it very well. Every time I see you, I remember it. And, but but I, I, can, I, can, I can remember some of those moments in which you, know, you had to deal with something in my life. And it, it always stings. It always stings in the moment. But I, I, I guess, I don't know, maybe it was the way I was raised, or maybe I just had such respect for this church and the people in this church, that after I sort of stewed on it for a little bit, because I think we all stew on it for a little bit, well, then I, then I so maybe the Holy Spirit just, Come in just gently and softly and just say, man, these people love you. They love you. They care about you. You, you, do, you do know this. It's a whole lot easier just to leave it alone, right? Some of, you, some of you had to work through conflict and navigate these things. It's a whole lot easier to say nothing. It's a whole lot easier just to turn a blind eye. When somebody comes to you and they rebuke you and they reprove you and they correct you in some way, that is an uncomfortable thing. Now, I remember when I was a boy, I remember, I remember thinking, they love this. I literally thought that. You know, man, they can't wait. They're just looking. They're just looking to come at me. And now that I'm, now that I'm older and I'm on the other side of it, I'm sitting here saying nobody loves, well, there might be a few. <laughs> I knew one or two around here. They're not here anymore, but I knew one or two that, that, might, have, that might have enjoyed it a little too much, but the vast majority didn't. They did it because they, 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 did it because they loved me. And it, can, I, can I just tell you this? That it was a kindness to me. They did me a favor didn't feel like a favor in the moment. It felt like a, you know, it felt like a two by four over the head. It felt miserable and awful and horrible. But later on, later on, the Holy Spirit of God, he just, he just kind of 
you know, slide in right next to me there in my thoughts and in my mind, and he would say, that person's right, and you're wrong. And I didn't always respond in the right way, but I think probably more often than not I did. And I think that part of the reason why I stand before you today is because there were people, there were people in this church that came and they, can I just say it, they, they smote me. They smote me with kindness. <laughs> Sounds kind of odd, doesn't it? Sort of like it's an oxymoron type of a thing. But they did with a two by four. They gave me as much kindness as they could possibly give me. And they, listen, and they, they either put me back on the right track or they kept me on the right track. They, they, they did something, listen, and I believe I am where I am today because of people that did that for me. Look in, um, look in Proverbs 15. Would you look in Proverbs 15? And look in verses 31 and 32. Hmm. Just such good stuff here. Everybody there? I can still hear, I like to hear pages turning, by the way. That's a, that's a great thing, a great thing. Proverbs 15, 31 and 32. The ear that heareth the reproof of life abideth among the wise. He that refuseth instruction, look at it, he despiseth his own soul. But he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. Now you know, you know that so much of the Bible is countercultural, right? And, and, it's, and it's even greater than that. It's... it's um, it's sort of counter our own minds in the way that we think. And that's, and that's what we find played here. When David said, when David says, when a, when a man smites me and the righteous smites me, it's a kindness. We're all sitting here going, what in the world is he talking about? He's lost his mind. And then, and then when David writes, or excuse me, when Solomon writes here in Proverbs 15, 32, he that refuses instruction despises his own soul. In, in other words, in other words you, you, you literally, what he's saying is you hate yourself. You literally hate yourself when you refuse to hear the instruction of a wise individual. When you will not listen to this book, you, you, think, you think that by doing so you're going to make your life better, more comfortable, easier. But you know what God is saying? God is saying that you literally you hate yourself. You despise your own soul. When you refuse, because, because that which hurts is going to make you better. And oftentimes that which feels good is going to make things worse. That is, a, that is a, a common idea, and yet our minds do not think that way, do they? They don't think that way. Proverbs 25, 12 says this. I won't have you turn there, but it says, it might appear up here on the screen. As an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold, so is a wise reproof unto an obedient, or upon an obedient ear. So wisdom and being wise, listen, it's not knowing it all. It's not having all the answers. Sometimes we think that, right? You know, I'm not wise because I don't, I don't understand. No, here's how, here's how to be wise. Listen when people pour truth into you. Listen when people give you instruction. Do not resist that. And God says, you're wise. You say, but I don't, I don't understand this and I don't know about that and I, I don't have the answers for that. Does, that doesn't matter. You can be wise just simply by the way that you receive wisdom and instruction. And by loving the person who tries to give it to you. This is, listen, wisdom is, is not knowing all the answers, having all the answers. It's simply an appreciation for teaching and instruction that leads to application and ultimately to growth. So can I just say, your very presence here tonight indicates, indicates a desire to be wise. 
Now, now I know, I know this as well as anybody that just, just by coming to church doesn't mean that you're gonna get the message. There have been many Sunday nights that I have come to church and I, my mind has been in another place. But your presence here, it, it makes a statement. I mean what I say on Sunday morning, I often say to the, to the Sunday morning crowd, I say, Sunday night is my favorite service of the week. I said it this morning, I think I said this morning, I said, if you don't come back, you're missing a blessing. You know why I say that? Because there's so many people that sit in these pews on Sunday morning that don't come back on Sunday night. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that you know, probably should, and I don't, I don't know all the reasons for that. I, don't, you know, I, don't, I haven't figured it all out. And that's between them and the Lord. But I believe in what we're doing here. If what we're doing here, if we weren't trying to give wisdom and instruction, if we weren't trying to preach God's word, then, then what's, the, what's, the re, what's the purpose for being here? See, see, we're doing something of an eternal purpose. And as a result, listen, someone who wants to be wise says, I, I want to get in on that. I want to be a part of that. So, so that's, that's the first thought is, is, is found here in verses 7 and 9. And that is this. You can tell a lot about a man by how he responds to teaching. And I think that we ought to maybe just do a little bit of self you know, inspection here. Let's just ask ourselves the question, okay, how am I doing in this area? When someone comes and they reprove me or they rebuke me, how do I take it? Do I resist it? Do I push against it? You say, yeah, I probably do it in the moment. Well, we all do that in the moment. But, but I mean, later on, when I've, you know, settled down just a little bit and I've given it some thought, do I make the adjustments that are necessary, that are, that are, that are given, that are clear, clearly taught in Scripture? And I think that that's what we have to ask ourselves. How are we doing in that area? And if, and if there's a weakness there, then we need to, we need to bring it up because I, I, want, I want God to look at me and say, I believe he's wise. And here's how I know he's wise, because of the way that he, he accepts wisdom and instruction. Number two, here's the second truth that is taught at Wisdom's Banquet Table is this. You, number two, you will only go as far as your relationship with God takes you. In life, you will only go as far as your relationship with God takes you. Look at verses 10 and 11. Going back to Proverbs 9, it says here, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. For by me thy days shall be multiplied, and the years of thy life shall be increased. Here's what, here's what, here's what Christians need to, need to know. It's amazing to me that, that we, we have to teach these things, but I think we, we do. Success in this life has nothing to do with how much money you have. Nothing to do whatsoever with how much money you have. It has nothing to do with how many degrees you've earned. I, I'm, looking, I'm looking around this room today, and some of you, you didn't even complete a high school education. And yet you kept your marriage together for 60 years. And you've raised great kids. And you've been faithful to church. And you've worked hard. And you have, you know, you, you have won at life. And I'm looking, I'm looking at a world out here of people who've got every degree imaginable. And they can't figure out how to, how to keep a home. They can't figure out how to be happy. They can't figure out how to find contentment. So, so you must know that success has nothing to do with how much money you have in your bank. And some of you are saying, praise the Lord. <laughs> praise the Lord. That makes me feel a whole lot better about myself. And some of you are sitting here saying, praise the Lord. Success has nothing to do with how many degrees I have because I don't have any degrees. Success in this life has nothing to do with what you've accomplished. Some of you don't have very many accomplishments. I, um, I think I've told this a time or two before. Brother Jim Jones Jr. is here tonight. and He was my baseball coach when I was a senior in high school. And uh, 
My, my senior year, the only trophy that I'd ever won in my life was a second place trophy in a spelling bee. Now how pathetic and sad is that, you know? And, I, and my mom still kept it. I mean, it was featured in a prominent place, you know? Here's my son's second, second place trophy. You should not get trophies for second place, you know? Give me a gift certificate to Honey Hut or something, but I don't deserve, I do not deserve a trophy. But she kept it right there. It was right in a prominent place in her house. And um, I, I was never an MVP of anything. Uh, I, was, I was never the high scorer. I was never anything. And at, and at my, uh, at my, our senior banquet, Brother Jim, do you remember this? He, he gave me and another guy in my class a trophy. It was called a super, he called it the super senior award. And I just got to tell you, thank you so much, brother. You have no idea. You have no idea what that did for my, uh, <laughs> for my self-esteem. I was shocked when I got the super senior. He made it up. <laughs> he made it up on the fly. He said, Who, who's the most pathetic person on this baseball team? Let me, let me give this guy an award, super senior. And if I remember correctly, if I remember correctly, it had nothing to do with on-field anything. <laughs> it had everything to do with, you know, leadership and just, you know, having a good attitude and, and, uh, and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and, and so I, I'm, I'm, I'm guy number one who says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that success in this life has nothing to do with how many awards you've earned and how many accolades and accomplishments you have. It has nothing to do with those things. Because, because, listen, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of people that have all of the accomplishments, and yet they've not gone very far in life. And they're not very happy. And they're pretty miserable, to be very frank. And they lie in bed at night and they ask themselves the question, why? Why, why, does, why do none of these things provide any happiness or any joy? And here's why. Because you will only go as far in life as your relationship with God takes you. And here's, 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 here's listen, here is the on-ramp to a successful life. It's found in verse number nine, or verse number 10. It is the fear of the Lord. You don't, listen, you do not get on the highway of life and go where you need to go. You do not get there until you, because it's the beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. That's, that, that's, that's what gets us on the highway. That's what gets us going. And until you have that, you have nothing. You cannot be a successful, you cannot go far in life until you have the fear of the Lord. Now, understand this is the starting point. And, and here's what it means, to acknowledge him, uh, to appropriately reverence him, uh, to admit that I'm not as great as I think I am. That's, that's the fear of the Lord. To understand I don't have all the answers. To understand this does have all the answers. And when I come to a place where I don't have the answers, I know what to do. I don't turn on the television. I don't go, I don't go to the website. No, I open this book. And I'm going to read this book and I ask the Holy Spirit to guide me and to lead me and to teach me what he'd have me to know. When a man fears the Lord, he sees himself. I'm talking about he sees himself. I see myself as who I really am. And who am I really? And who are you really? Here's what we are. We are broken, flawed, in need of God's love, God's mercy, God's instruction, God's wisdom. Men, that's what we are. That's all that we are. Somehow, some way, we've convinced ourselves that we're more than that. We are nothing more than that. In fact, in some respects, I'd say we're even less than that. We're less than that. God help us to see ourselves the way the Apostle Paul saw himself. He says, I am the least of all the apostles. I am the chief of sinners. May God help us. That's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, listen, it brings me to this conclusion. And when it does, when it does, then and only then, 
can I begin to receive the wisdom that I need? And so what some of us need to do tonight, if we're going to get wisdom and what it has for us, we're going to have to begin to see ourselves as who we really are. And who am I really? That's what I am. I'm broken. I'm a mess. And that the, that the God of heaven would even know my name, care about where I live, and what, I, what my desires are, what my fears are, what my anxieties are, that he would even care is an amazing thing. And I stand in awe. Number two, number two, here's, here's what you need. Not only the fear of the Lord, but number two, the knowledge of the holy. See that in verse number 10? And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. As I began to study this passage of Scripture, I had to ask myself the question, what does it mean, the knowledge of the holy? What do you suppose he's talking about here? Well, we, 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 you know, my first initial thought was, okay, knowing God, but he's already, already talked about that when he said the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of the holy. So he's talking about the same thing? Yes and no, not necessarily. Here's what I believe this is. I believe this is a clear reference to God's word, the Bible. And here's why. The word holy here, the word holy here, it means sacred. Sacred. So in other words, you, we, can, we can almost read it like this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the sacred is understanding. Let me ask you this question. How do you and I know what's sacred? How do we know what's sacred? We just figure that out on our own? No, no. We know what's sacred because God tells us what's sacred. Amen. And where does he tell us it? He tells us it in his book. Amen. So if I'm going to have the knowledge of the holy, the knowledge of the sacred, that means that I found it in God's word. It reveals it to us. So here's, here's what I'm saying. You want to go far in life? You want to go far in life? I think most of us do. Then there's a key, there's a key component here, and it's the book that you hold in your lap. This book right here, this book will take you as far as you want to go. As far as you want to go. Why, why, do we, why do we read every book but this one? I mean, do you, I mean how much time do we waste on, on other books? I, I'm, I love to read. I, I've, I've made a commitment to read more this year, and I've, I've done pretty well with it. And it's, I believe it's helped me. Well, I want you to know something, I, not at the sake of abandoning this book. Because this book is, is going to take me far. And abandoning this book is going to leave me behind. Life is going to leave me behind. Because you will only go so far as your relationship with God takes you. He goes on to say in verse number 11 that this could include even extending our days and our years. By knowing God and by knowing his book and living according to his book, it, it, could, even, it could even extend the length of our lives. It's that key. It's that important. Final point, and I'll just touch on this and we'll be done. Verse number 12. Here's a, here's a third truth that all we have time for tonight, and here it is. Number, number three, you must bear the consequences of your personal decisions. Wisdom says, let me, let me tell you three things. Three things. Tell a lot about a person. Tell a lot about yourself by the way that you respond to wisdom instruction, number one. Number two, you will only go as far in life as your relationship with God takes you Truth number three, you must bear the consequences of your personal decision. Look at verse number 12. If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself. But if thou scornest, thou alone shalt bear it. Here's what he's saying. He's saying wisdom blesses the bearer of it, while foolishness and scornfulness brings a man down very low, places a burden on a man that he may never recover from. And the choice, listen, the choice is yours and mine to make. So wisdom, in, in many respects at this, at this banquet, 
Very first, very first few minutes that wisdom has a chance to address us, wisdom makes her presentation. And she, she makes these three statements. And we've given them to you. They're right here. No, no question about what's being taught here. I can tell a lot about a person. I can tell a lot about myself. So what kind of person am I? Am I wise? Well, depending on how you receive reproof and rebuke. See, but I don't like that person. It doesn't matter whether you like, like that person. Is what they're saying true? It's not about personality. This isn't about, you know, n- none of that. What are they saying? Now, now I think we have a responsibility and obligation. We're going to reprove someone, rebuke someone, to do so in the right spirit, the right attitude. With the, you know, I get all of that. And, and you can help yourself by handling those things right. But at the end of the day, is what they said true? And if it is, then you're wise if you receive it and you accept it with a good attitude. And you're a fool. You're a fool if you resist it. Number two, you will only go as far as your relationship with God takes you. So get to know God. Fear him. Be in awe of him. Be in wonder and amazement over who he is. And know his book, the knowledge of the holy, the knowledge of the sacred. And thirdly and lastly, understand this. That whatever decision, whatever choice you make tonight and, and throughout your life, you alone, you alone will bear the consequences. You, you will bear the consequences. I think sometimes we can make decisions that can even affect other people. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I, I will stand before God. I will give an account and I will deal with the consequences of my own choices and my own decisions. And wisdom wants us to know that right off the bat. It amazes me how many people live, live like the devil and want to be blessed like, you know, the most spiritual man around. And sitting here saying, don't you understand the decisions and choices you've been making? And when you live that way, these are the consequences and they're yours to bear? That's what wisdom is teaching us.